to ill-equipped history, where two very ill-equipped women think they have the right to talk about history. We don't. <laughs> we're doing it anyway. We're, gonna, we're, we're doing it anyway. <laughs> I'm Morgan, here with my lovely co-host, Emily. Hey. <laughs> so, I, you know, don't really have anything to open up with, so why don't we just go ahead and get started? Let's do this shit. All right. She does not know what we're talking about today. It's a surprise. I'm very excited. So excited. The year is 1941. The Germans are holding Vastoy in Norway. There's an incoming force of Allied forces coming in from warboats. Aha! The Allies will face the wrath of our machine guns! Germany will win this war! Right you are! Wait, do you hear something? Is that... Are those... Bagpipes? Who the hell is playing bagpipes? Look! There's a guy on one of those boats! Ah! Holy shit! He's throwing a grenade! Duck! (laughs) Bruh. He's carrying a sword. I surrender. Dude, the other soldiers have guns! Exactly! He's bringing a sword to a gunfight! This guy has to be crazy! I do not want to be on the receiving end of- Oh shit, he's heading this way! Run! Run away! Ah! Run up! Oh no! Ah! <laughs> Alright. That was our intro to who we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> All right, so if you have not guessed already, listener, today we are talking about Jack Churchill, also known as Fighting Jack Churchill or Mad Jack. So this sounds vaguely familiar. He has the definitely name become only. internet famous. Um, he is not related to Winston Churchill. Who was the British Prime Minister in World War II. That was going to be But that does come question. back later. Okay. That does come up later. But he is not related. So most of the sources I found really repeated the same few facts over and over again. And there wasn't a lot of like deeper detail that I could find. But I found a written account from one of Jack's best friends. His name is Rex King Clark. And they actually, they grew up together they fought together in World War II, and they remained friends throughout the rest of their lives. And so this provided a lot of really great detail that I was really missing that I could not find elsewhere on the internet. And it was very short. It was only like 25 pages. Right. So I hesitate to call it a book, but it was just a written account of him like going into a little bit more detail. And actually, I have what it's called. Give me one second. Maneuvering a lot of stuff on my internet my computer it's called jack churchill unlimited boldness by rex king clark and he was unlimited boldness so i mean he has a bagpipe and a sword in world war ii i'd say that's pretty bold and a long (laughs) we'll get into (laughs) so okay So he was born John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill 
What a November sixteenth, I know. November sixteenth, nineteen oh eight, to Alec and Eleanor Churchill in British Ceylon, which is modern day Sri Lanka. After he was born, his family moved to Surrey, England, where his brother Thomas was born. His father was an engineer and got a new job in Hong Kong, so they moved there, where his youngest brother Robert was born. And then the family moved back to England in 1917. I couldn't find dates with all these moves, and most of the sources didn't even mention Hong Kong. So he's about nine when they moved back to England. Okay. So his family had a long history of military service. I'm not going to get into because, like, basically every man in his family has fought in the military at some point. Um, And both of his brothers also fought in World War II. Unfortunately, Robert was killed in action. Poor Robert. He was in the Royal Air Force. But his brother Thomas did survive World War II. Jack graduated from the Royal Military College Sandhurst in 1926. After he graduated, he served with the Manchester Regiment in Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar. He served in the 1930-1932 Rebellion in Burma. For his service in this rebellion, he received the Indian General Service Medal with a Burma clasp. So, he's starting to rake in his awards and recognitions. While in Burma, he took up motorcycling. One day, he decided to ride from Rangoon to Calcutta, where his battalion his battalion was stationed, and that was about a 1,500-mile trip, which most likely had never been done on motorcycle before. He rode 1,500 miles on a motorcycle? He hit a water buffalo. What? <laughs> a water buffalo ran in front of him all of a sudden, and he hit it on his motorcycle. <laughs> oh, God. And it, it didn't total the motorcycle? He eventually made it to Calcutta. <laughs> he just got up and just kept on with his life? Yeah, I didn't know. I couldn't find how bad the damage was. Like, this was a little frustrating because there was things I wanted to know more about that I could not find more information on. Uh, um, it, it was just, like, high points, high points, high points. Rex's story, like, his written account gave the most detail I could find. And even that was only 25 pages of this man's life, which was not enough, in my opinion. Uh, No, I want to know about the water buffalo. (laughs) We're just getting started. We're on one paragraph of five pages of notes. (laughs) Okay, so he hits a water buffalo, but he's fine. Also, while in Burma, he learned to play the bagpipe. There is a regiment there called the Cameron Highlanders, and they're from Scotland, and they played the war bagpipe. So he learned how to play war bagpipes. And I just have to say, I don't know how many of you have heard, like, bagpipes in person. I, I got the privilege to hear them live when I went to Grandfather Mountain a few years ago to help out with all that stuff up there. Yeah. It enters your bones. Oh, it like, is so loud. You feel it. And you hear yeah. it. Like, it is insanity. I can definitely understand, like, how a bagpipe can motivate you to fight in a war, for sure. Or terrify like, you if you're on the other side of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, it's 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 so it's a totally unreal experience. So, he was really good at bagpipes. Uh, so, when he was 29, he ended up retiring from military service in 1936. So, apparently, Rex said that he would wake up officers by playing the bagpipes at 3 a.m. <laughs> 
And then when taking an exam for a promotion, he studied the wrong materials and he didn't get his promotion. And basically by this point, his, his superiors were like, get the fuck out. <laughs> so he retired. <laughs> 29? Yeah. He retired of so, him. Yep, yep. So he moved to Nairobi, Kenya, and was a newspaper editor. He also modeled and acted in a few movies. What a man. Yeah. In October 1936 and to January 1937, Jackson Rex, Jack and Rex toured Europe, uh, I guess in a car. Rex wrote that they got up to a lot of shenanigans, all of which were Jack's fault. Um, unfortunately, he did not go into more detail about what these shenanigans were, but he said some were hilarious and some were terrifying. I really want to know what happened, but uh, he did I, not write about it. I feel like... In every podcast so far, I've said that I wanted to be someone's friend. I've never meant that more than right now. I yeah. want to be his friend. I want to get into shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> he also had a mustache. Oh, a <laughs> it good was not, mustache. It was not big and luscious like your your friend like Felix, Felix in the Carvajal. last episode. Yeah, Mr. it was Felix. not big and luscious like his. He had I can a, a still thin appreciate, mustache. I can still appreciate a little thin. I like I like the facial hair. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so he in 1938, he won second place in a military bagpiping competition. And Rex said this was ironic because he was an Englishman and he had beat a bunch of Scottishmen at bagpiping. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love that. He also took up archery and was really good at it. He represented Great Britain at the 1939 European Archery Competition in Oslo. Was he just good at everything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rex wrote that Jack got back to England from the archery competition only just in time to follow his true vocation, war. (laughs) (laughs) Why did he word it like that? (laughs) Because Jack was good at war. good at everything (laughs) he really was in september 1939 jack and rex served in the british expeditionary forces or the bef and the manchester regiment uh initially they were digging trenches on the belgium french front jack eventually joined the commandos which are the predecessor to the british special forces right in december 1939 jack became second in command in d company and went to the maginot line which is a big front in World War II. After this, he volunteered to help the Finns against Russian invaders. He also learned to ski (laughs) during this time. (laughs) When did he have time for that? (laughs) Snow ski? Yeah. Because he was, like, in Finland, like, against the, like, trying to prevent Russians from invading in the snow. And the Finnish soldiers were, like, expert skiers. No, you're right. In military combat. So he learned to ski from the Finnish uh, soldiers while he was volunteering Hold over on there. a second. Hold on a second. Please tell me he skied with the bagpipes. I have no idea. Please. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> I hope he did. I really hope he did. Unfortunately, with like a skiing bow. does not... <laughs> yeah, bagpipes. with his bow and the bagpipes and his sword. Yes. Um, All of it. 
So he always, I think I talk about it later, but he always had the broadsword at his side. Never went anywhere without it. So Jack ended up coming back to Belgium just as the Germans invaded Belgium. Mm -hmm. Rex called him a man possessed. This is, quote, possessed, sustained almost to addiction by the adrenaline of war. End quote. Um, Wow. He really liked war. (laughs) So the way that Jack operated was he preferred to have, like, small uh, groups. He -hmm. called the about maybe six other men, uh, and he called those men halfbacks. I don't know why. He and his halfbacks would lead the charge. They would like almost be like a like a like a like a undercover like covert group, okay. not really undercover, but covert groups like sneak into enemy territory and like fuck shit up, right? Um, without like a huge regiment behind them. This doesn't right. always work because sometimes you need a big regiment to like hold an area, which you can't do with six men. <laughs> Um, So when he did have larger forces, he and his halfbacks would lead the charge way ahead of other soldiers. Like, they'd basically be by themselves anyway. And Jack was always wielding his broadsword. He always had it on him, and he said to Rex, quote, any man who goes into battle without his sword is improperly dressed, end quote. (laughs) You're naked without your sword. (laughs) Wherever he went, he had his broadsword, his longbow, and his bagpipes. He was never without all three. In 1940, he led his regiment in a retreat from the River Dial back to Dunkirk, uh, which is another big site of World War II. Yeah, yeah. During the retreat, he and his men held the village, I think it's Lepinet, in France. It's a very small village. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're holding this village against enemy attacks. He climbed, at one point, he climbed a granary, which is like a tiny little, like, barn. And he shot a German soldier with his longbow in the chest. Uh, and he ended up earning a military cross for his actions in Dunkirk and Lepinet. Wow. And he actually had the record for the last, like, bow and arrow killing in World War II. And a lot of people are like, wait, does that guy have a bow and arrow? <laughs> I bet. Because, I mean, he took so many of his enemies, like, just off guard that they, were, they oh, didn't yeah. even shoot at him because they were like... Wait a minute. <laughs> that comes back later. What? <laughs> Much later, but okay. it comes back. Oh okay, God. so Rex had this anecdote in his written account, and I really mm-hmm. wanted to share it. So I'm reading, this is from his written account. Quote, soon after the action at Lepinet, the news of which had not yet reached me, I was sitting, chatting to a gunner officer outside a small roadside estaminet with the remnants of my company around me when a small moto bicyclet came puttering towards us along the road, running through the flat, deserted Flanders fields. It was still some distance away when I recognized, in the sunlight of that spring of glorious weather, the pale hair and fierce mustache of the rider. I walked onto the dusty road, waving my arms. The bike stopped just short of me. Jack, I shouted. He grinned back. The creases in his face accentuated by grime. Ah, hello, Clark. Got anything to drink? And he pulled the bike up onto its stand and joined us at the table, his strong hands, dark with dust, relaxing into his lap. I looked over to the bike. His longbow was tied along the frame. In one rear-wheel pannier, I could see the rim of his steel helmet. From the other protruded the shafts and feathered flights of several arrows. Over the headlamp hung a German officer's cap, a relic, told us, of his action at Lepinet. While he was talking, I noticed there was dried blood on the lobe of his left ear and on his neck. 
what's that? I asked, and he recounted how, earlier that day, when an enemy machine gun had begun to fire bursts down the village street he was walking across, his men, behind a wall on the far side, had yelled at him, run. But I couldn't, he said. I was too tired. And a bullet had nicked his ear. <laughs> he was too tired to run. <laughs> well, Michelle... Germans were firing a machine gun at him. <laughs> I'm just tired. I don't wanna. Me in war. I don't wanna. Catch me getting shot before I run. <laughs> he got nicked in the ear. So, he was lucky it was just the ear. I know. This man. Like... <laughs> It's, it's wild. So in 1941, he was stationed in Norway, uh, which was where we opened our skit. Right. Uh, he was second in command of the commando for Operation Archery, which was a raid on German forces there. As the boats were coming to shore and men were engaging in battle, Jack played his bagpipes before throwing a grenade, taking out his sword, then entering battle himself. He earned the military cross for this. <laughs> what? What an efficient maniac. I mean, I he gets shit done, but it's so chaotic. It's, he is the most chaotic person. I love it. When ce- so when celebrating after the battle, <clears throat> he had gotten into German stores of alcohol there. I think he was holding a bottle of wine or something. And him. a random charge exploded. And the glass from the bottle, like, cut his forehead. Um, so he was sent back to England to recuperate, but apparently his wound healed too fast for his liking. So he used his wife's lipstick to like touch up his wound. <laughs> Cause he didn't want to go back just yet. I don't think it was that he wanted to be like, Oh, look at me, the brave hero getting injured in battle. <laughs> no, he did not want to stop fighting. He loved war. Oh my God. Um, yeah, he also got married in 1941 to Rosamund Denny. Uh, they eventually had two children together. Could you imagine being married to him? You know what? She matches his energy a little bit, and I'll get Good. I'll get into it. Good, you end. gotta have an energy matcher at that <laughs> when you're that chaotic. You gotta yes. have someone who can more than just hang on for the ride. Right, exactly. Like you need someone else steering the ride too. That is a very funny choice of words. I'll just go and say this now. But um, later in life, he liked to sail um, steamships, but his wife would like command the helm and like give him orders. <laughs> <laughs> I love her too. <laughs> How did I know? <laughs> she basically captained the ship, and he was the engineer and the stoker for the steam engine. So she and just she, like told him like, "Hey, something's broken. You need to go fix it." This yep. is my ship. I'm running this. Yes. Don't, don't. She'll like tell him like, you have to drive on the right side of the river. <laughs> so you don't hit <laughs> other boats. <laughs> uh, duh. Boat etiquette. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I love this. <laughs> so anyway. Um, so yeah. Match made in heaven. So in 1943, he was stationed in Salermo, Italy. He, co- this is a big one. He called a mission to capture German station outside of Molina in Oper- Operation Avalanche. 
he had this strategy where he would line up his men in six columns and they attacked Germans in the middle of the night while yelling commando so they wouldn't get shot by their allies. But it was just like going commando, commando. Oh my God. So after this, he and one corporal, so just two men, he and a corporal snuck up on a pair of German soldiers outside of Pigaletti, which is a small village, and used them as human shields to enter the German camp there. And Jack had his sword drawn. He and his corporal took 42 prisoners and captured a mortar group. He had all of the prisoners walk back with their weapons, sans ammo, obviously. All the ammo is in, like, a bag. Bobby, yeah. Back to camp, fed them, and impaled them all into a POW cage with other prisoners. So there was, like, I'm... over 100 prisoners. Him and one other man. <laughs> 42 prisoners? German prisoners. How the fuck do you do that? <laughs> and he didn't lose a single prisoner. So he earned a distinguished service order, but Rex wrote that he thinks that he should have earned a Victoria Cross, which is the most prestigious military award that you can get in the British military. Um, So while doing this, he was engaged in hand-to-hand combat, obviously, with the German soldiers there, and ended up losing his sword. So he went back up to get his sword, and while he was walking back down to the town, he, he ran into an American troop that like had gotten lost and they're heading towards enemy lines and he told them hey you're heading towards enemy lines and the nco was like we're not going to listen to you and he said that he would not return for quote a bloody third time so he was like just go on i'm not coming back (laughs) (laughs) fuck off then (laughs) yeah basically he already had to walk back to get a sword yeah so In 1944, Jack was stationed in Yugoslavia and leading the 40 and 43rd Commandos and the Partisans. And they, the Partisans were a Yugoslavian anti-fascist resistance. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were paired up. So the Partisans left the initial assault because of artillery. Jack tried tried his best. He led his commandos by playing his bagpipes, um, but the gunfire was too much, and they ended up retreating until the next morning. So the next morning, Jack led the 40 commando in a flanked attack to take back the island of Brach. Um, it was a very strategic island um, that the Germans had occupied. So only Jack and six other men made it to their objective. Um, all of his, the rest of the commandos were killed or injured. And as the Germans advanced, he was the last one standing. Everyone else was either injured or killed. While the Germans were advancing, he was just playing his bagpipes. He was knocked unconscious by grenades. Not killed, just knocked out by grenades. Not even injured a little bit. And he was taken captive I by the I am literally speechless right now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when he was captured, he actually wrote a letter to one of his captors named Hautmann Hans Thorner. And this letter eventually saved Thorner's life when he was captured by Yugoslavian forces. The letter is basically like, hey, man, when this is all over, you should totally come visit me at my house and like we can grab dinner together and you can meet my wife. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I have the actual letter in front of me, but that's the gist of what it said. Oh, my God. So he befriended. 
one of, one his, of his captors. captors. Yeah. Sadly, his longbow, his sword, and his bagpipes were confiscated when he was captured. No! He's naked now. He doesn't have his his broadsword. I know. And the Ger- German intelligence thought he was a relative of Winston Churchill. So they sent him to Berlin to be interrogated. And he was transferred to Sauchenhausen, which was a POW concentration camp. Oh. Uh, and it, yeah, and it was reserved, like, he was put in an area for notable captors, or captives, some of which were relatives or suspected relatives of Winston Churchill. There's also, mm-hmm. like, a former, like, prime minister was there. There's a few, like, uh, political enemies yeah. there, too. Yeah, yeah, So, in September of 1944, Jack and four other POWs escaped through a tunnel they dug from this concentration camp. But, sadly, he and... Um, one of the officers were caught. Ah, oh, damn. Uh, so he was sent back to the concentration camp. And in April 1945, he was sent to Niederdorf concentration camp in Austria. So on April 20th, I think that was like the last day of like World War II in Europe. Yeah. Because I think that was the day that Hitler killed himself. <laughs> April 20th, 1945. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was working outside with a work group, and the floodlights malfunctioned, and Jack just walked away. He walked for 93 miles. Wait, Crossed. Dude, the lights went out, and he was like, huh, it's dark, they can't see me, and just, he just fucked fucked off. off. (laughs) He survived on soup he made from, like, greens he found in the wilderness. He walked for 90, he walked for eight days, he walked 93 miles in eight days, crossed the Alps, which is the mountain range in Europe, by himself. Because he was going to Italy. But he ended up, and he had a sprained ankle. This man doesn't give a shit about anything. He's just like, he event- I'm going to go over there. And then he goes over there. <laughs> yeah. He eventually ran into an American procession coming through, like an armed procession coming through and he caught up to like one of the last vehicles in this procession which is a tank and he had to persuade the american soldiers like hey i'm actually a british officer and i just escaped a concentration camp (laughs) and he was rescued holy shit at this time the war in europe had ended Uh uh germany had surrendered i think italy surrendered so after recuperating, there was still the Pacific Theater going on. So Jack was sent to Burma to help with this, the theater over there. Mm-hmm. But while he was going over there, the Americans bombed Japan. And then they surrendered. Right. And Jack was pissed about this. He told Rex, quote, If it wasn't for those damn Yanks, we could have kept the war going another ten years. <laughs> what the This man loved war, Okay. <laughs> Okay, I definitely don't condone keeping a war going for 10 years just because you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But what an attitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a man who knows what he loves. Yeah. I am glad it stopped, though. But, yeah, me too. Um, yeah, he really liked it. So he, he did stay in military service after the war. At this time, there's a lot of tension in Palestine between the Jewish and Arab peoples. And the British was getting its messy fingers all in there. 
And so he went over to, like, help uh, with the Jewish, I guess, like, at that time, like, Britain and Jerusalem, like, the Jewish people there had, like, kind of allied a bit. Yeah. Because they were there to help them out. So he, Jack was sent to Palestine, and he was a parachutist over there, because right. naturally. Because why wouldn't he be? <laughs> so this was mostly from Rex's account of events. There's some, con- not contradiction, but like some differences in different sources I found. But because this was Rex, and like he knew Jack personally, and like I This was probably his the account. most credible yeah. I'm, I'm going to assume it is. Yeah. So he, Jack and his squadron were in a military parade uh, in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, and this wasn't far away from a medical convoy that was traveling to a place called Hadassah Hospital. So the convoy came under attack by Arab forces. Jack was notified of the ambush and left to go to the scene. He called for reinforcements but was denied because apparently the next day the British were like ending the this weird agreement that they had and right. his commanding officers like no we don't want to get involved just make sure like if you do get involved just don't fire any of their weapons um so he did request some armored vehicles with guns and they're like yeah you can have those but it's going to take some time to get there meanwhile this medical convoy is under attack he and he wanted to rescue the like people that were under fire he got 12 men to go with him and they all went to where this battle is happening. When he got to the target area, Jack walked out of his vehicle in full Scottish military regalia, like the kilt, the sash, everything, a walking stick and was grinning from ear to ear. And he, as he guessed like the Arabs were so like stumped like, no one shot at him. He was just walking in the middle of this active battle, and not he did not get shot once. Because they were just like, okay. Like, I, what you said earlier, like, kind of faking it till you make it. Yeah. Like, and just, like, stump people. So, they're like, what the hell is this? That's literally what he did. And it worked. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just confused everyone enough. If you make yourself look like enough of a madman, people will leave you alone. (laughs) His, one of his nicknames was Mad Jack. Like, people were like, he's crazy. So he ended up going to the convoy and he was like, hey, I'm here to rescue you guys. Like, come with me. And they're like, no, we want to wait for, they're called the Haganah and they're the Jewish army. Right. Like, no, we want to wait for the Haganah to come help us. He went to every single car in this convoy and was like, let me help you, let me rescue you. And all of them said no. Eventually, like, one of his own soldiers ended up getting shot. And he was like, all right, I offered to help. You guys declined, so I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Uh, there's 110 people in this convoy. 77 died. Oh, my God. And 25 people were injured. Only eight people got out of there without any injury. And this is known as the Hadassah Massacre. So at the end of April... There was more fighting, more escalation, and the Hadassah Hospital and University Center were in danger. So Jack was tasked with coordinating an evacuation effort. Mm -hmm. He used four convoys to evacuate 200 patients, 100 students and residents, and 300 staff, and 600 tons of equipment and supplies. 
Not a single shot was fired during this entire evacuation. So he saved 700 people. Wow. And 600 tons of medical supplies. And his superiors were pissed off because he did too much. What? Yeah. Too much? Yeah. Like, he saved 700 lives. Not No one was shot at. No casualties whatsoever. He even saved their medical supplies. And they're like, ah, you went a little overboard on this one. Well, fuck them. So Jerusalem never forgot what he did on that day. And there's even a street named after him leading up to the hospital. Ah. Um, and in 1977, Jewish reporters came and interviewed him, but the event was never really acknowledged by the British government. Well, they can kick rocks. So, <laughs> yeah. so he acted in another movie in 1952. Just because. <laughs> and really, like, what his roles were, he used his archery skills. Like, in two of the movies, he was hired as an archer in the movie. Oh. So, they were, like, leading roles, um, but he did acting movies. Did they say what oh, movies gosh. they were? One of them they did, the 1952 one, because one of his friends starred in the movie, but I didn't write it down. But right. it was, like, one of his old rowing friends in college, and I don't, I don't remember what it's called. I didn't write it down. So after he, after this, he ended up moving to Australia, and he taught land-to-air combat, and he ended up taking up surfing. Which he was really good at. Of course he was really good at. So he lived there for a while and he returned to Great Britain. And he got to the River Severn, which is the longest river in Great Britain. He rode what's called a tidal bore wave. And it's basically just a long continuous wave over a mile. He surfed on this wave for over a mile in a river. And he actually revolutionized like freshwater surfing. Oh my god. And he made his and he made his own surfboards. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Is he the reason that I can like surf behind our boat? Probably. Thanks. Like Jack. people are like, wow, like freshwater surfing can be a thing. It doesn't just have to be saltwater surfing. Like you can surf anywhere. Granted, like his way was not made by a boat. A boat. It right. was a natural phenomenon. Right. Right. Um it's but he like rode a, it for a mile. Yeah, over a mile. And he was the first person to do that. He's just out here just mm-hmm. killing it at this life thing. He's just having a good time. I have another thing that's going to just tickle you. Okay. So he, he retired in 1956 and he moved back home to England. So he rode the train back and forth to and from work. And he liked messing with people. If this was not apparent already. So something it. that he would do... Is that on his way back home on the train, he would throw his suitcase out the window to, like, scare the passengers. What he was actually doing is they were passing by his house, and he would throw his suitcase in his backyard so he wouldn't have to carry it from the station. (laughs) I love this man so Tell me that wasn't an intrusive thought that he just acted on one day and just kept doing it. He did it multiple times. Yeah, he he just kept doing it. He's like, I don't feel like carrying this briefcase home. I'm just going to yeet it out. (laughs) I love this so much. 
So some hobbies that he took up after he retired, he enjoyed making radio controlled shit, like little mini ships, yeah. specifically warships. And he also loved steamboats. Like I said, he, he owned several steamboats, which according to Rex were all pristine. And while sailing, Jack was the engineer and the stoker while his wife, Rosamund, took the helm and basically captained the ship. Um, I love this. Yep, and he lived a pretty quiet life. Nothing is, I couldn't find anything after this. He was pretty quiet, uh, and he died March 8th, 1996, when he was 89 years old. Wow. So, um, the Explorers Club named him as one of the greatest explorers of all time. And Rex, he commented, this isn't an exact quote, this is a paraphrase, but basically, Jack was just, like, so eager to fight in war and was just ready to die anytime, like, he was just, like, so gung-ho about war. And he never, like, was even injured. Like, the worst like he, he was, had was that cut on his forehead. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it is, it's just, like, ironic. Like, he, like, dove face first into battle. Like, he literally had a longbow and a sword when there were artillery and machine guns. He, and he, he got knocked out by a grenade. Not, not killed. Not, not killed. He didn't... Lose a limb. He didn't get like cut up with shrapnel. To from what I could find, and there I saw a picture like after he was captured, and like he had on like a borrowed helmet because his got crushed. Um, so he had on like another soldier's helmet that had died, and then like soldiers like Germans had given him like a jacket from another one of his fallen comrades because he was cold. And he just had, like, a blood stain on his arm from probably one of his friends. But he had no injuries. And he just fucked off a concentration camp. Yeah. Because the lights flickered. Just <laughs> like, bye. He survived <laughs> off soup from, like, wild vegetables that he found. Like, he had, like, a little tin can. And he would find water, make a fight, like find water in his little tin can, make a fire, like, boil, like, roots and stuff in the little can. That's what he lived off for eight days. Walking with a sprained ankle through the Alps. I I could never. I sprained my ankle a month ago, and I'm still wearing my ankle (laughs) brace. Like, I can't. (laughs) I've got it on right now. Hike the Alps? No, (laughs) ma'am. By himself. (laughs) Eating root soup (laughs) (laughs) and he did 93 miles in eight days (laughs) he was fully intending to walk the 150 miles to italy like he was gonna do it but he ended up he would have 100 percent. yeah he just happened to find the american convoy before he made it to italy and was able to catch him in time so they could give him a ride back but they didn't even believe him he had like i think in Rex's writings, like, he had to do, like, the Sandhurst salute or something <laughs> oh my for God. them to be like, okay, like, this guy is a legit British legit, captain. Yeah. Or, so, so, was he able to, like, I'm assuming he was able to help the other people that were still in the concentration camp? I'm sure eventually. So, I was reading um, the Wikipedia article, and yeah. this was in his his, like, section on wikipedia but i didn't see this in any other accounts but apparently like 
at that concentration camp, um, it was guarded by SS, and the prisoners there were really worried that the SS was going to kill them. So right. some British, or not British, some German troops, like, came in and, like, were like, hey, like, don't kill our prisoners. Um, and then the SS left, and then the German army there was like, you guys can just go. <clears throat> and just, like, let all the prisoners go. <laughs> This is from Wikipedia, so I don't know how accurate right. that is, but that was the but only thing true. I ever saw about that. And I assume German army was different than SS yeah. troops. Um, I don't know a whole lot about, like, I know a little bit about, like, Nazi right. Germany, but I just thought that. They're like, you guys can just leave. And it was like 120 prisoners or 140 oh prisoners or something. They're just like, you guys can just go. Yes, I'll see you later. Bye. Yeah, so that's the story of Jack Churchill. He lived a very full, long life, living his best life. Everything that he wanted to do that he was good at. Modeling, editing, archery, bagpiping, sword fighting, movies, surfing, uh, building ships and sailing ships, um, and just being an overall badass. And if he didn't want to do something, then he just fucked off. Like, he just... Yeah. He wasn't going to do it. Fucked off. <laughs> so. <laughs> I hope you liked it. <laughs> I think I'm just going to adopt that mentality. That's a good way to live. Yeah. I loved it. Manifest Jack Churchill. Fighting Jack Churchill. Fight like Jack fought. Maybe not. <laughs> With a broadsword? I don't know if I can fight with a broadsword. If you cannot find a broadsword, try pipe bagpipes. War bagpipes. Can I stick to surfing? Can I stick to surfing? Sure. And skiing? I can do those. Yeah, that's fine. But I you can, gotta play I can bagpipes while doing it. Oh. Did he ever get his bagpipes and sword back i didn't see i didn't see anything it was confiscated by germans so probably not they probably like melted it down for cash or something who knows it was the fucking nazis (laughs) i don't know why but the way you said that made me think of one of those like uh cash now for jewelry places (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was thinking (laughs) get out of my head No. Uh, you predicted like half of my episode. And I had no idea what we were talking about. That was on purpose. That's no. uh, that's what we get for being best friends for 20 years. Our we have one literally, brain. Yeah. We, we pass it back and forth. It's like our Boston trip. Um, when we, between the three of us, we had the one Mm. brain cell and we switched which day, which person had it because it was always two of us had no idea what was going on. The other one knew where we were going and it was never the same person. No. Oh God. It might've been the perpetual hangover. Yeah. I think our friend had it most of the time because she is the best of either (laughs) Uh, 
well, you yeah, know who be- you are and we love you so much. <laughs> we- <laughs> yeah, because I was just running through the streets of Boston in just my like socks. I took my shoes off. <laughs> just flapping your arms. <laughs> <laughs> Never eat popcorn for dinner. No, don't do it. Drink beer. Drink. I think I had to finish your drink for you. Because you were so drunk. You're like, I don't think I can drink it. And I was like, all right. (laughs) And it was really good. And we were in that um, underground bar. fancy place. Yes. And the bartender called me trouble. The Mm -hmm. moment I walked in. Yep. As soon as he sat sat down, he's like, oh, here... Gosh, was this like a Scottish brogue or something? He has. Oh, here Scottish. comes trouble. <laughs> I can't do a Scottish brogue. This, <laughs> this is why we, we can't do accents, y'all. This is exactly all right. why all of our skits are going to be country. Because we can't do it. We tried. We did. We, we actually, we practiced before we started recording this episode at the very beginning we tried like practicing a german accent and did not go (laughs) we decided we would probably just piss people off if we actually did that so we said we're just gonna stick with what we sound like yep yep we're not breaking outside of this sorry if you want to pay us for acting lessons to like learn (laughs) i'll do it some new accents we'll do it but until then (laughs) this is what you get <laughs> because All right. we're, we're not uh, equipped. We, we are ill equipped, if you may say. <laughs> so um, check out our Instagram at ill equipped history. Uh, no spaces, no dashes, all lowercase. And we also have an email. Email mm-hmm. any suggestions or helpful comments you have at ill equipped history at gmail.com. No spaces, no dashes. And we hope you keep listening to our fun history tales. Yeah, and we'll see you next week with a new fun story. And uh, it's going to be great. I can't wait. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.